Speaking of looking cute, I, I tried a new mascara recently, and I'm obsessed with it, but it is not waterproof. And I meant to wear waterproof tonight because I too cry every time I'm up here, even if it's for 30 seconds. So if I look ugly at the end of this, just forget about that part of it. Okay. Ah, <sighs> oh, you guys. Hi. Thank you for being here. I feel so blessed. I was telling the girls before, I count it as such an honor, number one, to get to be up here, but number two, to get to be up here in November during the mug exchange, because that's like the event. And so thank y'all for letting me come talk. Um, okay, let's do this. Let's pray so I can just, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for today, Lord. Father, I thank you for all these beautiful faces I see sitting here in front of me, God. I thank you for all the hands that prepared that yummy smelling food out there, God. And I just pray for everyone who can't be here tonight, Lord. And I pray that they would still feel the power of the Holy Spirit from the women in this room. God, I pray that all of our hearts would be open to hear what you have to speak to us individually tonight. I pray that we are broken from strongholds and from things that cause bondage in our life tonight, Father. I pray that we all have ears to hear and eyes to see you. And I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth is not from me, but from you, God. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I am a storyteller and I like telling stories. So you're going to hear a lot of my story tonight and a lot of someone else's who we'll find out in a minute. So in my family, I use the phrase God wink all the time. It's a thing. I'm sure it's not unique to us, but it's a thing for us. I, I know I've heard Lynette talk about it and I'm like, I know my God wink and it's a good parking spot. I always get good parking spots, whether it be the grocery store, Costco, which y'all, everybody wants a good spot at Costco restaurants, whatever. And so now it's to the point where we pull in a good parking spot and my daughter's like, mom, it's a God wink. I'm like, it sure is baby doll. And so Bricky gets God wings too. So if you've seen my daughter, she's got the most beautiful, luscious hair. And so when she was in dance last year, they sent out a thing to all the parents and the song they picked was tangled Rapunzel God wink. And so my son too, We all joke about it. He was like, are you going to tell him about my God wink? I'm like, sure, buddy. So about a month ago when they did water baptisms, Coop had been asking me for years, like, I'm ready to get baptized. I'm ready to get baptized. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I put it off. And I was like, you have to be able to tell me why you get baptized, what that means, what that looks forward moving in your life. You have to be able to explain all of that to me. And it just never felt like the right time. And I always questioned myself, what if something happens to him and I didn't let him get baptized? And so this year when they announced that, he's like, mom, I really want to get baptized. And I'm like, okay, this is, yeah, it's time. And so I called, you know, family and I was like, Hey mom, like we're doing Coop's getting baptized. And so she's like, perfect. She's like, you know what, Ash, I want to get baptized too. My mom grew up in a Catholic home in new Orleans. Okay was Catholic for years, went to Catholic school through 12th grade years, you guys. And my mom's also a very private person. Never did I ever think I would see my mom 
in a church in front of other people getting baptized. God wink. It's always the timing. So when my mom got baptized, the provision in our family, because we all want our kids to accept Jesus, right? And we all want them to go through baptism. So that was provision in my family for what my husband and I wanted. But the abundance and the overflow of goodness came from my mom getting baptized because that was just so much. So that's what we're going to talk tonight about is we're going to talk about how you have to see the provision in your life to be able to walk in abundance so you can experience overflow. You tracking? Okay, let's do this. So another God wink that we experienced, we recently found our acreage property. If you've heard me talk over the past three years, you've heard me gripe about how we lived in town. Okay. And we were waiting. And so we went to see this property in January and there's a ton of trees on the property, which is not always the case once you get east of 85. It's a lot of not trees. And so we go on this property and there is this beautiful big tree with limbs just coming down. And I was like, this is my God wink. This is our property. And I just knew because I'm from the South where there's big, beautiful trees everywhere. And I love that. And it was just him smiling at me. And it ended up being our property, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the trees on our property have always spoke to me. And so I want to share a verse with you. Luke six, no good tree bears bad fruit. Sorry, Luke 6, 43. Y'all can see it. Okay. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Did I read the beginning part right to y'all? No good tree bears bad fruit. Okay. So let's pause there. So these trees on our property, there's tons of them. And we bought this property from an older couple who couldn't really maintain it. So there are a lot of trees that are really dead, like disgusting. The, the whole inside's like rotted out. I'm scared they're going to fall over one day. And then there's beautiful trees. So the trees are all like fine when it's green and it's whatever. But what's really fun and I could not wait to see was when they turned colors this fall. I was like, oh. They're going to put on a show, hopefully. Hopefully they don't just turn brown and die. And so I couldn't wait to see what color they were going to turn because it was our first year there. Well, the dead trees obviously produced nothing but ugly dead branches, right? Tracking? Okay. The alive trees produce these beautiful yellow leaves, like beautiful, okay? Big old trees. And then most of the trees on our property are alive, partially but then they have a lot of dead branches inside of them. And so they're partially dead and they're partially alive. And I think, oh, I can't wait till next year when we can go trim all these trees and then all the dead is gone and how much more life is going to be in them. So this is us. So this is us. Don't be a half dead and a half alive tree because you're not going to produce as many leaves and as much fruit. So let's go back to Luke. Okay. After we hear that grapes don't come from briars, good people bring good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is stored up in your heart will become your overflow, whether you want it to or not. Okay? We can't help it. We all have overflow. 
Some of y'all might be a little more chill than me. I'm not a chill person. I like to talk. I like to vocalize things. So when I've had a really bad day, people hear about it or I cry. Okay. When I've had a really good day, everyone hears about it. Everyone hears my good news because I love to talk. And I'm guessing that you're the same, even if you're not an extroverted chatter. Okay. Because we all do it when we walk in here on a Sunday and I would never say be fake, but if you walk in here, okay. And you just, you're just like, ugh. And people are like, how are you doing today? And you're like, ugh, family coming next week and I have to clean the house and I'm cooking everything. Sorry, sister. Sorry, I asked. If your girlfriend calls you and she's like, how are you doing? And you're like, oh, my kids are driving me nuts. Ugh, my daughter-in-law won't call me back. Ugh, I do not like the people I work with. Your heart becomes ugh. And it's ugh to talk to you. <laughs> Sorry. And the reason I say all this is not to call you out. And it's not so that we can come in here specifically, let alone work in our families and be like, everything's fine. Cause that's not right either, but we need to work and constantly be looking at the posture of our heart and make sure the posture of our heart is in a good place. So we're not living in the UG, right? So that when we actually say, I'm doing fine. We are doing fine because if for years we're ugh and we're so busy and we're so burnt out, y'all, what, why, what goodness are we pouring out? What beautiful yellow leaves are we spreading on the ground? We're not, we are dead branches and dead weight just hanging. And I say all this to you guys out of an abundance of love because I was that girl. I am a very happy-go-lucky person. I'm a very positive person, but I'm going to tell you guys a little story about my life and we'll get to more scripture, but I feel like it's important for you to know my story recently so that I can share what not to do. Okay. So back in 2020, we decided to sell our home. We were really wanting land. So we had already been wanting land and to raise our kids on acreage for a long time. And so our cousins were selling their property and we were like, yeah, come here. Let's do this girl. Hi. So we were like, well, that's a great idea. Let's just sell our property because we don't want to have a contingent offer. And if you remember what 2020 was like, you couldn't put a contingent offer down. You couldn't even really put an offer down unless you had an extra 70K to make it happen. Okay? So we sold our home and I, who y'all, I got on my knees and I said, God, if we are making a mistake and we're just irresponsible people, please, please, please don't let it sell. Bye. <laughs> so she's so cute. So I prayed and I said, God, here's the deal. We will do this. I will bust my butt. I'll make our house look so cute. But if it's not right, stop us. Because I never want to do something that's not in line with your will. And our house sold. And the people who bought it are wonderful. So we had a three-month rent back on our property. So we could figure out. (laughs) You stealing the show, girl. (laughs) So, oh, she's fine. So we had a three-month rent back on our property. Okay? So we sold our property God's funny, literally like three years ago in 2020, because it was right before Halloween, right around the time of the election. 
the world was chaos. Okay. Not a good time to not know what you're doing. I can say that or where you're living. Okay. So we rented our place back for those three months short term and then we're in January and we get together and we have dinner with the people who bought our house and their son and daughter-in-law and their kids because they were about our age. Okay. Their kids. And we're sitting there and they're like, well, what are y'all going to do? And we're like, we don't know, but it's fine. It's fine. Like we've been looking at rentals. Like we're just going to probably go rent somewhere while we find a place and it'll be fine. You know? And they were like, you guys, that's silly. We don't need the house yet and just stay here. And we're like, okay, well, thank you. So we stayed there for two and a half years. We rented our own house back for two and a half years, says the girl who taught Dave Ramsey and tells you to be wise about your real estate choices. Okay, so, y'all, at the end of these two and a half years, in January of this year, we we were desperate. So out of desperation, we said, we're going to do the fast. We had done the Daniel fast before with the church. Um, I think I had done it twice. Tommy had done it once. And, you know, we really like our food and our family. So it's a sacrifice. And so we did our Daniel fast and we prayed real hard. And when I tell you that God provided the sale of our home, The story is not complete with all the abundance that follows, even when I was a huge grouch all through. Because we sat there the day we finished the fast, and we had a cup of coffee, and we prayed, and we opened up, I opened up my email, and there was an email from like Realtor Zillow or something, and I was like, okay, why didn't we go look at this property? It came back on. And my husband's like, well, you didn't like that the basement had two of the bedrooms. Okay. We've got two kids. And so the kid bedrooms were in the basement. I was like, Oh yeah. I'm like, well, I keep yelling at you that when we don't go out and look, we're sitting on the sidelines and we're not actually putting ourselves in the game where God can use us. So let's go look at it. So we go look at this property and I see my big tree and I just know because sometimes you just know, you know, and this house was not cute. This house stank to high heaven. It had yellow blinds all pulled down. I didn't even realize how many windows our house had until after we moved in and pulled out the blinds. Okay. My house has gorgeous windows. So we go in this place and I just know it's right. And my husband's like, okay, well, let's make an offer. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But I'm like, I want to go 50,000 under asking. And he's like, oh, babe, no, they're not going to take it. I'm like, I don't care. I want to go 50,000 under asking or we're not doing it because I want money to make that house look like I want it to look because <laughs> your girl has once bought a house without air conditioning and I know how much that costs to put that in. So, so we did, they countered the long and short of it is that there ended up being issues with the septic system. Okay. So we had settled in the middle. So the abundance of my story starts coming in. It really came in here but I'm going to just keep going for a minute. We ended up getting our property for 70,000 under asking and lower than what we had originally offered. And it's because we operate out of kingdom finances because our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We do not have finances of this world. We just had to wait for his timing. 
We had to wait for a place that was anointed by him. So I made a little list because I'm telling my husband our story that he already knows. And he's like, all you talk about is provision. And I'm like, shoot. And he's like, you're missing all the abundance. Isn't that what you're supposed to be talking about? And I'm like, yes. So I made a list so I don't forget. We got to continue living in our house and we got to rent it back for over two years. The sweet people who bought it are believers and faithful people. They never raised the rent on us. We were paying about what our mortgage was and our mortgage was not expensive. Okay. Their kids who are our age have become some of our best friends. In the whole world. Kids the same age. They're some of our best family friends. During that season, we had an abundance of extra money because we had no property taxes. We weren't fixing up our property. We could save and throw in the storehouse the way that God wants us to. Okay? We had an abundance of time to help other people start businesses, help other people move. Watch their kids for them. Host Bible studies. We had an abundance of time on our hands. The part of the story I left out is that when I said, well, let's go look at it. Tommy's like, I inspected this house back in December. So my husband's a home inspector, if you don't know. He inspected the house in December, told him everything that was wrong with it. And then there was a brand new roof on it when we bought it. Because they had already fixed that before the last real estate deal fell through. Okay? There was a complete abundance in that period of time, but I had a heart of UG for two years. I would get on the phone with my friends and I could hear my, you know, when you hear yourself and you're like, I'm the negative Nancy. I don't want to be, I'm the person that I'm trying to find a way to get off the phone with because dear goodness, I love you so much, but I can't talk to you anymore because you're like negative energy is pouring out. I had never been that in my life. And I always believe that, um, when you're not at peace, something's off and something needs to be changing and something needs to be moving. So during that season, I also was not really in a place where I was loving Colorado. Sorry. My Texas girl politics were like, done. Let's go south where I can be tan and have Mexican food. (laughs) I wanted to go. I didn't want to stay if I'm being really, really honest. And I think because Tommy wanted to stay and I wanted to go, like we were out of this alignment because we weren't fighting towards the same thing. And when I finally said, okay, God, I for real, not just saying it, like I for real Take me where you want me. There were two things that snapped me out of that UG spirit. One of them was sitting right over here. And Pastor Lynette was like, Ashley, you're like sitting here with papers. I see this vision. And you're like trying to make it all work. And this is what I do. I just try to make everything work. And she's like, you need to stop. And you need to stop telling me all these things about the cost of homes and this and this and this. And you need to realize that you operate out of kingdom finances. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, girl, I do. The second thing that pulled me out of it, I will never forget this moment probably. I'm standing in my kitchen at our old house and I'm scrolling Instagram aimlessly like we do when we need a minute. And it stops. And it was a video of Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, 
standing over the CU stadium. Okay. I don't, are y'all football fans? Okay, I'll break it down for you because I love football. So, and this is not the only football themed thing tonight. So, Deion Sanders used to play for the Cowboys, and I am a Cowboys fan because I grew up in Dallas. So, Deion Sanders was like one of the players, okay, with Troy Aikman back in the day. So, like, I know the name, my brothers had the jerseys, it was a thing. And so, Deion Sanders is now coaching 45 minutes from here, and I'm so excited, okay? They call him Coach Prime because he was like prime time because he was so good. Okay, y'all get it now. So anywho, Coach Prime is standing there praying over CU in Boulder. I wanted to go to Texas. So I'm standing there and I'm, I'm listening to this man like pray. It's a video of him standing in an empty stadium praying. And I'm imagining all the people who are going to sit in that stadium this season. And I'm imagining all the players whose lives he's, he's going to touch. And I'm imagining all the teams they're going to like play against. And I just start bawling uncontrollably because I'm like, Ashley, how selfish are you that you think you're too good to live here? That you want to go and find your people where it's nice and red. Okay? And God said, Ashley, if I can bring people here to speak to them, don't you think I can use you since you're already here and you already know people? Wow. Yes. I stopped living in the UG, you guys. And I finally just started totally submitting to the will of God. I hope y'all aren't tired because I got a ways to go. <laughs> I like to talk. So let's go look at our Bibles. Okay. We're going to go to Elijah 17 and we're going to be here for a little bit. So if you want to turn there, you can. If you want to follow along up here, you can. So in first Kings 17, we meet Elijah. In 17.1, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, we don't know a lot about Elijah. We don't know how he got in front of the king. But what we do know about him is he was extremely confident in what he was saying. He did not stutter. He did not seem nervous or fearful to be there. And Elijah knew who he was and he knew where his identity came from because he spends his whole first sentence in front of the king saying, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, he completely has to say, this is who I am. And this is why what I'm about to say matters, because when you put your identity in Christ and everyone around you knows that your words just hit different. Am I right? Okay. So let's go on to verse two. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward toward the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Okay, let's stop here. So Elijah was obedient. We don't know how he ended up in front of the king or how God came to say, you need to do this. But he, he went And he did what he needed to do. And then when he got his next direction, you need to go to the Kareth Ravine. He was obedient. Okay. He had to listen for God's direction 
before he could follow it. Because when we don't take the time to listen to God, we can't follow God. Okay. And how many times are we in a season that we don't understand? And we're like, God, why am I here? I find those seasons a lot easier when I have a promise to stand on. Okay. So my season of UG, even though I let it get to me, I always knew God, this is not a mistake because I prayed and I told you to protect us from a mistake and our house sold. So this is where we're supposed to be. Okay. Elijah knew his promise. His promise was that he would go back and that rain would come one day. He just had to wait on it. So in the meantime, while he's waiting on this time, he had no idea how long it was going to last. He had no idea the ramifications that were going to be. He knew only to go to the ravine, which is basically like a canyon, a very lonely place, and just sit there. Okay, so let's keep reading. In verse 5, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The Obedience, y'all. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. So there's two things you guys need to know about ravens. They are mean little birds and they like food. So the fact that God used these mean birds to bring food is just how God works. Okay. He always takes things that are unlikely And makes them the thing that's going to save the day. God loves the underdog. He loves the thing that's least expected. He loves to surprise us because he's a good dad. And he loves us to be able to turn around and be like, I saw what you did there. The other thing you guys need to know is back in those days, it wasn't common to have meat all the time. Bread was a really big part of the diet. And so the fact that Elijah was provided for bread and meat two times a day would have probably been over and abundantly more than the meat he was already getting. Do not miss that. God took him to a desert by himself, but he gave him more than what he had. Also, ravens did some studying. Ravens were not a clean animal. Okay, you were not allowed to eat ravens. And therefore, because they were not clean, you were not allowed to eat anything that a raven touched or that they would eat. And I, I, you guys, don't panic. We do this today. Because if those Pharisees had walked into that ravine, and they would have seen Elijah literally getting bread and meat out of the raven's mouth, Sir, don't do that. Sir, that's against the rules. Because that's what the Pharisees did, y'all. They did it to Jesus. They did it to the king of kings, to his face. And they put him up on that cross. Don't you think they would have called him out for eating the bad food? Okay, so really don't panic. Because how this plays out in our world today is we get legalistic and we get judgy. Or... We get so introspective into ourself and what we're doing and all the things we're celebrating that we start living in anxiety. Okay. So I'm going to give you a few examples. What holidays we celebrate. 
are we serving in church? Did I post a Bible verse this week? So everyone knows I believe in the Lord. Did everybody see my comment on the Bible app and the group thing and the whatever? We do that. And in our heads, we judge and we feel judged. Okay? Because take it from the girl who's been learning a lot and spent the past October through November. I'm being real with y'all tonight. The past like three years as I've been learning about all these feasts and festivals. And it's a lot to take in. And it's a lot to learn about. I have pretty much completely stolen all the joy out of my holiday season from the past three years. Questioning. What am I doing? What am I pouring into my children? Is this right? Is this wrong? And it is exhausting. And can I tell you what I've learned? And can I tell you the freedom I've found? God Almighty is so much bigger than anything. And his whispers are supreme, even over the laws that used to exist. Because he is the ultimate provider. So if he is giving you something that is good, why would he want you to not step into that? It's not the will of God to be consumed with legalism because there is freedom in Christ. So if you're feeling stressed or anxious, that's bondage. Okay. And if you're being obedient to God and you're not sinning and he's providing for you, you guys just need to pray. Right? And you pray because God is is either going to tell you to drop that thing in your hand like it's hot because he doesn't want you to get burned by it. Or he's going to give you permission to move forward and be like, this is how I provided for you. I'm going to give you all a little example from my life. So we're going to put Elijah over here for a minute. I have learned a lot about humility. Renting your own house back for two and a half years and watching people's faces when you tell them that. Not tonight. Y'all are perfect. Okay. (laughs) It makes you humble. It's very humbling. Okay, you know what else is humbling? Having a really cute clothing boutique and closing it down. You know what's even more humbling? When God tells you to open it back up. <laughs> okay, just here to be humbled. So I had, um, I started doing clothing, selling clothing and network marketing like seven years ago when my little, or when my oldest was a baby. Okay, a little backstory. And then I saw that fizzling out after my youngest was born and I was like, it's time to make a move. And I just knew and we made a move and I started my own little clothing boutique out of my house. Nothing fancy, but it was great. I got to like have a hobby, work from home a little bit, be with my kids. It was great. Then in July of 2020, I did my first annual fast and God said, it's time for an occupation change very clearly. And so I said, okay. And so I closed it down and I felt great. I knew it was the right thing. I closed it down. You're still always a little worried what people are going to think, but I knew it was the right thing to do. So I did it. So that was July of 2020. Okay. Fast forward to last year, 22 in January, I'm minding my own business and I get a knock on the door from UPS and there's a box that says down home boutique. That was the name of my boutique on the box. And I'm like, well, that's strange because I didn't order anything. And I've been closed down for a year and a half. So I take this box inside and I look inside because of course it's fun. (laughs) There's real cute stuff in there. 
And I'm like, I didn't order this, but I also didn't call the company right away because I'm like, this is just weird. And so I sat on it and I prayed on it and I was like, this feels like it should mean something, but I'm going to pretend like it doesn't mean anything. That was on a Monday. On Wednesday, we met up with our little preschool co-op thing. And one of the moms in there was very prophetic in her dreams. And she goes, Ashley, did you guys find a house? And I was like, no, why? And she's like, I had a dream about you and you were folding clothes on your table. Okay. Well, were they old clothes or new clothes was my first question, (laughs) obviously. And she said, no, they were like your clothes. Like they're, you know, they're your clothes. And I was like, oh, well, that's confusing. So I told her then about the box and she's like, oh, they're old clothes because it's an old business with clothing. But that made me tired. So I prayed and I laid out my sheepskin and I said, Lord, I don't know. This is a lot. This is a lot, not just for me. This is a lot for my children who have to take a back seat sometimes. It's a lot for my husband who then gets his weekends hijacked because I'm off selling clothes. Okay. It all looks pretty on social media, y'all. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, you just show me because I don't really know. I don't really know. And I'm sitting with my Bible study girls on Thursday morning. I've hosted a Bible study at my house on Thursdays for a while. It's awesome. And I wasn't going to say anything because I did not want anyone to know about this. I just needed to like, whatever. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't really know. I just need prayer. And so I'm telling them, I don't know. Were you in the room that day? Okay. So we're sitting there and the UPS man knocks on the door. They go box. Well, that's not Amazon. (laughs) So the Lord said, it's time for you to pick this back up. And I was like, why? And he didn't tell me. Okay. So I picked up the boutique. I, that was in January. I officially opened it out of my house again in April. And I remember having a dream in the midst of this. And I had this dream that I was at a photo shoot. Do y'all know Megan, the wizard, Megan, who makes magical photo shoots happen? Megan was in my dream and she's there and she's ready to do what Megan does that I can't do. And there's a photographer there and he's got all these extra beautiful things like laid on on the table for me to make this photo shoot awesome. And we're in this like old, beautiful, like Southern plantation house. And I walk in and they look at me and he's like, where's all the clothes? And I was like, oh. I forgot to bring the clothes and he looked at me straight in the eye and he goes, I prepared everything for you. All you had to do was get the clothes and show up. Well, I I don't know what time it is, but I'm getting up and ordering clothes (laughs) y'all. So I I knew that was the will of God in my life. I knew he wanted me to pick that back up and I'm going to be really raw with you guys tonight. I was very hesitant. My husband was very hesitant because he saw how much work it was last time. And sometimes you make money and sometimes you just get cute clothes. (laughs) Just being real. Okay. So long story short, we decide to get a camper so we can have a cute mobile boutique. So we get that in August. We fix it up. We finish it in December. And out of obedience, we had provision to do the boutique. Okay. We had the money to do the boutique. We had the time to do the boutique because remind you of my timeline, we're still in our rental 
AKA our own house. So we had the time. And so Tommy, we were at a show and somebody had a camper that's not as cute as mine, but he's like, we can do that better. And I said, okay. So this was on a Sunday. We're driving home. He's like, I want you to get a camper. I think this would be awesome. He goes, I just have this feeling. If you get a camper that's old and we fix it up and we make it beautiful and God sees that we're trustworthy with that, that he'll give us a house to do the same thing with. So Monday morning, I wake up and we're working out and he's like, babe, did you find a camper on Facebook yet? No, I'm tired. (laughs) So on Tuesday morning, I'm sitting there 5 a.m. before he gets out to our little shop gym looking for campers. By Wednesday morning, a white camper, which if you knew the boutique, it goes with my branding, fully gutted was in my driveway the same time we had some check, I don't even remember what it was for, some IRS refund or something, come back through for an amount within a couple hundred dollars of what the camper cost us. I didn't even have to use boutique money to pay for this thing. Okay? Okay, God, this is what you wanted. Y'all, it's hot up in here. I'm going to fold my sleeves up. So we had this camper. We fixed it up. Fast forward, we get our house, okay? We're living in the crazy, chaotic abundance. And so in April, I'm sitting there painting and I'm talking to a girlfriend. I'm like, listen, I can do a lot of things, but I can't do all this. I am tired and I am burnt out and I'm not enjoying it anymore. And when you stop enjoying something, it's really hard to do a good job at it. And it's really hard to be mentally present in it. And she's like, Ashley, I think you need to stop thinking of yourself as a boutique owner and as a business owner. And I think you need to sell the boutique. And I was like, okay, that I can get down with. So I did. She goes, you don't need to sit on this though. If you're going to do this, you need to do it. Megan, I'm just realizing she was in my dream. Weird. Weird how God works. It was Megan. Megan was the friend who said this to me. And so I did. I put it up for sale the very next week. I made a cute graphic. We got our ducks in a row. And it it took a long process. But we officially closed on that in September. Okay? So I'm going. uh, The reason I tell you all this, don't forget about the ravens and the bad meat that the Pharisees are judgmental of. Okay? So the reason I tell you all this is because I'm like, oh, I'm so burnt out. I'm just going to get off social media. And I just, mm. but I didn't really feel burnt out from being on there. I really felt like I could bring joy to people is how I really felt. But I know other people's opinions is that it's so overwhelming and it's so much and it's bad. Oh, it's like raven meat. You shouldn't be on there. And so God spoke to me one day and he said, Ashley, Do you really want to like be done or do you just want to find a better way to make it work for you? And do you just want to use this space to spread joy to women? And I said, yes, yes, I do. I love making a fool of myself. I can do that. (laughs) And so the very thing that looks icky to other people and has a bad name and it comes from an icky place, God is using right now in my life to bring me a lot of joy and hopefully to spread a little bit of joy. So don't be afraid of raven meat if God told you to use it and to eat it. Okay? Can we track with this? Okay. Let's keep going because the night's not that young. Okay? 
So let's go to verse 7 through 9 and let's hit back with Elijah. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. I want you to think about the beginning of Elijah. And I know, show of hands real quick, who heard Robbie Dawkins talk about Elijah? Okay. Okay. So I'm going to give a little backstory for those of you who aren't super familiar. So widows during that time period were not highly regarded. It was kind of the lowest of the low because you didn't necessarily have a man to provide for you. Okay. And men were held the higher places in society back then. And so you kind of needed that to have a voice in society and a job and a job that supplied money, that supplied food. Okay. So this is, this is who he's going to have to go get his sustenance from. But the first thing I want you to think about is the brook dried up because there'd been no rain. Well, obviously, but ladies, don't we do that? We look at our life and we sit and we get real cozy by a brook, tanning our legs, drinking water, and we camp out there. And then when the brook dries up, we sit and we stay because we're scared. And so we sit in this dry place where we're not getting anything. And if we're not getting anything, we're not being provided for. And if we're not being provided for, can we live in abundance? And if we're not living in abundance, does anything flow out of us? No. So I'm here to tell you tonight that if there's a brook in your life that's run dry, it's time to go. And it's time to be done. The only way you know where to go, though, is to sit and listen and ask God, where am I supposed to go? Sometimes Lynette just touched on this last week, and it's not lost on me how everything lines up, right? She says sometimes it's not God's timing, and sometimes he's just sitting back and he's waiting for you to pick a path. So if you're at a dry brook, stop sitting there, number one. But number two, figure out if you need to be the one making the decision or if God has promised you something and you just need to seek after that. Okay? If you listen to God, you'll probably find humility like I did. And Elijah... Elijah found a lot of humility because when God delivers you from a brook, my experience is that the very next place he takes you to is a place of serving before you see the miracle. So when we're, when we were in this waiting period of getting land, we had an abundance of time, right? So God took us into a season of serving just like Elijah. Let me back up a minute. So Robbie Dawkins talked about, and if you missed it, I want you to hear this. He talked about, he posed the question, when Elijah had to go to the widow to get food, was Elijah the one being served or did he serve the widow? Because he got there and she's like, I have no food for you. We're going to read the story in a minute. So be thinking about who got served in that scenario. Because when we were in a place of Ugh and waiting and all the things we had an abundance of time. So out of our abundance, we were able to serve. We got asked to help out with hospitality. We had a lot, and I mean a lot of friends move 
during that time. And God is so funny because he will put where you're going right in front of you as if it's like breadcrumbs leading you in that direction and promises being like, it's coming, it's coming. Can you feel it? Can you see it? Because if I can do it for them, I can do it for you. I have to tell y'all, the majority of the people move to the south or to warmer weather. (laughs) Better food. Okay, God. You guys know I like to volunteer for things. A lot. And I oftentimes like to volunteer my sweet, strong husband for things too. Things like moving, carrying heavy things. So we would go help these people move. And I love all of our friends so dearly. So if they're listening tonight, I hope they chuckle when they hear their situation called out. Because sometimes we would show up to these houses and the boxes would be like all small boxes, all medium, all large boxes. And you're doing this and you're doing this and the pizzas are on the counter. Perfect. Great. And then we'd show up to these houses and we'd walk in and there is stuff everywhere. And I'm like, are y'all moving in five hours? Love you guys. I don't know how y'all going to do this, but I love you. So we'd be sitting there going through closets and putting things in goodwill bags, putting things in suitcases, putting things in trash bags. Moved a lot of people in trash bags. I inherited a lot of goodwill bags from helping people move that we got to go drop off the next day. And we'd get in the car and we'd look at each other. We're both very A-type people. And we'd go, we are not moving like that. (laughs) And after we would giggle at people's lack of organization and moving, I would cry so hard. And I would cry. And that would usually lead to like tension in my marriage. Right? Because I was like, why isn't this happening for us? What's going wrong? Why can't we just make a decision? Why aren't you figuring this out? Yeah, girl, I said that. I only said it a couple times. (laughs) Then I didn't say it anymore. (laughs) At the core of those moments, though, and the ugh that my heart was in, that's where all that was coming from, okay? was like really ugh places. So I don't want to go back there. But at the core of all of that. I knew, I knew because I've always known God's timing is so much better than mine. And whatever ends up happening is going to be so much better than what I could come up with. Okay. So, so let's go back to Elijah. And I want you to think about this question of who served who, because you see Elijah is going to get fed by the widow. So I'm going to read to y'all. You just settle in, but don't fall asleep. Okay. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she's walking off to get it, he called and bring me a piece of bread, please. Okay, sure that went over well. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the land. 
And she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman, for the woman and her family. Okay. I don't know why Elijah had to go through this. I don't know if it was because he had to go and he had to see the absolute wreckage that the drought had caused in an agricultural region. Okay. Or I don't know if his faith needed to be strengthened because he watched this miracle. Because you know how you believe that God will do things. But sometimes you doubt a little bit. And you don't mean to. But we all do it. But then when you see something happen in front of your eyes. Like you see everybody who's wanting land get land. Except you. You know it's possible. So when you go and you see God's miracle being done in front of your face, you know that when the time comes that you have to be the one to do the miracle, you know it's going to work because you've seen it. Okay? The bread wasn't the only miracle that happened when Elijah was staying with the widow. So let's go back to this story and settle in again. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. It's a cliffhanger. (laughs) The Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. You see, the first miracle for the widow was bread. She now had provision. Okay. The next miracle for the widow, her son being raised from the dead, was life. And the realization of that woman, of who God was, because of what Elijah did, and how he healed, well, that led to a life abundant from now till forever for her. Okay? That's what God wants for all of us. Does he want us to have life? Yeah. But in John 10, 10, it says the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, first we get life in Christ. Okay. We accept Jesus into our heart and we get life breathed into us. And then we get life abundantly. But there is no timeline on that life abundantly. God doesn't say you have to be a believer for three years. You have to go sing in the church choir in the South. There are no rules. You become a believer and you have life and you immediately have access to that life abundant. You do not have to wait. As the story goes, we continue in first Kings. Okay. And it's the, it's the third year. So it's time for Elijah to head back. Okay. And he's going back to tell King Ahab that God is going to send rain. Now things in Samaria were bad. Really bad. Queen Jezebel is like killing 
God's prophets. People are starving. People are dying. Dying. There's a severe famine. Okay. The right-hand man of King Ahab was called Obadiah. Obadiah was a man of God. At the time when Elijah is coming back, Obadiah is actually out in a different direction than King Ahab. And they're looking for greener pastures for their livestock to go survive on. Okay. And Elijah runs into Obadiah and he's like, yo, yo man, you coming back soon? Okay. And he's like, he's like, yes, I'm on my way back. I'm going. Meanwhile, what Elijah doesn't know about Obadiah is that Obadiah has literally, while the king and queen are going against really the queen, but the king's assistant doesn't hold his wife back. Okay. Obadiah is taking the Lord's prophets and he's hiding them in caves. And while he's got them hidden in caves, he's supplying them with bread and water. So he is literally protecting God's people from a very unlikely place. Probably like the ravens. Because some people would be like, don't go work for the king. Don't do that. But you see, he had access to certain things. He had access to knowing where the prophets were because of his position. So don't be scared of how God's going to bring the promise into your life because it's always in unlikely ways. So Elijah goes, okay? He ends up challenging the prophets of Baal to a duel up on Mount Carmel. It's a great story. Go read it in 1 Kings 18, the whole thing. I'm not going to go through everything. And basically, the prophets of Baal spend all day up until the evening sacrifice time, calling down, dancing around, calling on him. And Elijah's sitting there taunting them. And he's like, maybe he's sleeping, you know, maybe he's just really busy. Okay. Maybe he's deep in thought or traveling. They're dancing. They're like dancing. They're like stabbing themselves. Okay. Trying to get this fake God to come down and rain fire and it's not happening. And we all laugh, but you guys, don't we dance around like fools when we want something to happen and it's not happening? I do. I don't want to be a fruitless tree with no direction. And that's what happens in our lives when we get so wrapped up in what we think should be happening. And we get wrapped up in the timeline that we think it should be happening. And we start dancing around trying to make it happen. Don't be a fruitless tree. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm doing all this and I'm writing all this and, and I'm like, okay, God, I feel, I feel really blessed. And I want to tell you guys a little story about my family. I, I love my family dearly. Um, I don't, I can honestly say, I don't really know of a time in my life when I was lacking a lot. Okay. And this is what I credit that to. My dad knew lack. My dad had a very rough childhood. His dad passed away in a boating accident with my dad in the boat when he was like six or seven years old. His mom was not, shall we say, the most wholesome, always at home taking care of her children type of person, even though she appeared like that. So my dad ended up having to supply things for the family and his brothers. Okay. There was a lot that went on. There was, um, a lot of abandonment. There was a lot of lack financially and relationally to the point where my dad was pretty much on his own at a young age. Okay. But God, 
because he had a call on his life. And when the call came, he stepped into it. And I believe there were seeds planted in my dad's life from an early age. So when the call came, he knew whose number was on the ID and he could just pick up the phone. And that changed everything because you see, I never had to live in lack. My dad figured out how to get out of that cycle and how to get out of that poverty mindset and how to get out of that, just all of it, the ick. And his ceiling that he achieved became the floor for my siblings and I. And isn't that what we all hope to do in our family? Because that literally changed generations. Not just me. Because I never had to know lack, guess what my kids don't have to know? Lack. Guess what my parents did? They provided. They gave us provision. They gave us abundance. Because they gave us provision and abundance, what do I get to live in? I get to live in the overflow of that from my family. What do I get to provide my children with? Overflow. Can you imagine how many yellow leaves are going to fall off the tree of my children? But it starts with one person. So I, I was talking to God and I said, well, how do you, how do you do that? How do you go from living a life of lack to living a life of abundance so that you can create this life of overflow? Like, how do you do that? Because I didn't have to do that. So let's look at Ephesians 3.20. The King James Version tells us now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. The NIV of that same verse says now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his purpose that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see when abundance starts playing out in your life, you can't even keep up with it. I literally had to write down all the things that God abundantly did for us over the past couple years because my husband was like, you missed stuff. And it's my life. If you can't even keep track of all the blessing, isn't that a place you want to live? So you guys know if you've been here for any amount of time that Pastor Lynette always talks about... um, a purpose and how God has these purposes that he wants to accomplish. And she always does this like swirly thing with her hands. And she said, God wraps up that purpose in a person and sends it out into the world. But what happens when that person doesn't obey and doesn't accept the call of their purpose? Well, God doesn't just abandon that purpose. God finds someone else to take that on. So when I was thinking about how we get out of living in this life of lack, the word obedience started coming at me, okay? Because those scriptures, both translations say that God is able to do immeasurably more. Not that he will, not that he has to. He is able, okay? The message translation says God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. You see, the reason we try to get out of this lack and partner with God is so that we can do more than all that we ask or imagine for him. So that things start snowballing so fast that you're like, I didn't even ask for this. I didn't ask for my boutique to sell this year. 
wasn't even on the table. I just asked for a property. And God gave the provision and then he gave abundantly. So in John 10, or yes, in John 10, we heard that I may, I have, sorry, let's try that again. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. But if we go before that to verse nine, sorry, Linz, I'm probably messing you up. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and he shall go in and out and find pasture. Because you see, we get, when we accept Jesus and we start living this life, we feel like there's a box we have to live in and a path we have to go down. And we feel like we can't veer off of it. But the truth is that God wants you to go seek greener pastures. God wants you to go to the hills he has and find all the cattle. Because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But guess what my dad owns? All the hills. Because the Lord, anywhere that the Lord owns, which is everywhere, is blessed for you. This summer, we have a pasture right next to us with a bunch of cows that someone had on there. So at the end of the summer, when they were like getting low, I don't really know how all this works. I just try to make it sound like I do. So bear with me. When they were getting low on their choice native grasses, <laughs> those cows said, Woo, that overgrown property looks nice. And so they would come. However through the barbed wire fence, over the cattle guard, always on our property. Thankfully, never in my garden. But they were there all the time. And it's because animals know how to go find what's good. Animals don't think as hard as we do. They just see something good and they go for it. They're like, I see good food, I'm going to go for it. I see shelter, I'm going to go take shelter. And we think and we think and we paralyze ourselves in this thinking and we stop and we sit in brown weeds. Instead of running and climbing over barbed wire fences for what God has for us. With the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, we can travel to and fro and never know lack. Did you know that? We don't have to sit in this box and on this path. And how freeing is that? That we can literally do anything and God's with us. So even in the seasons in your life that look like a Carith ravine with rocks on either side and a brook drying up, we're provided for. Okay? Now when I tell you to go look for greener pastures, if you are in a covenant thing, like your relationship with God or your marriage, don't go look for greener pastures. Okay? I didn't tell you that. But if you're in a job that you don't like and you're not making much money, and you know that God has put a fire on the inside of you and that you're capable of more, go. Don't be scared because your father owns all the hills and all the cattle. And he has abundantly more for you. So I'm asking you right now, are you obedient? I want you to think about your life I always talk about money, y'all, and I'm real sorry. It probably makes everybody uncomfortable. (laughs) But money's not evil, okay? The love of money is evil. Money is what makes the world go round right now, y'all. 
Okay. So let's just call it what it is. And a lot of times we see all these things I'm talking about play out with money. So you have to go there. You have to go home tonight and you have to take inventory of your finances. If God told me to tithe, am I tithing? And I think I get so passionate about this because I've seen what he can do. I've seen the goodness. And once you see the goodness and you feel the goodness, you don't ever want to be away from it. You don't ever want to stop giving because you know what God gives back. Because God can do more with our 10% given to him than we can do with our 90%. Sorry, just had to tell you all that. Go home. Ask if you're being obedient, obedient in your relationships. If you're loving your family well. Ask if you're being obedient in your schedule, in your timing, in your organization. Because... From my experience, God does not give us good gifts that we're not ready for. Okay? In Luke 16, 10, it says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You see, we have kids. And I don't just sit and hand them a bag of Oreos because they can't be trusted. Okay? (laughs) Just saying. I know we can't either. You do. Nobody give her Oreos. We don't hand the car keys to a 16 year old who's never had a driving lesson. Okay. God is not going to give you a hundred thousand dollar a year salary. If you ain't responsible with your $50,000 a year salary. Sorry, he doesn't want you to go into self-destruction mode and hurt yourself or others. So you have to prove with whatever you have, whether it be little or much, that you can be trusted with more. And when you can be trusted, he will give it to you. Even if you screw up, he's going to keep working with you and he's going to keep giving and he's going to keep loving on you. But he is not going to hand you the keys to the car until he knows that you know how to drive because he loves you so much and doesn't want anything to happen to you. So I want you to think about Elijah in first Kings 19 says Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. He's a sissy. He goes and to his wife. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. After he won on Mount Carmel, he had all the prophets of Baal. I believe I could be wrong. There was like 400 or 450 there. Okay. And he was like, go get them, take them down there, kill them all. We're done with this. We're done because the whole reason we're in this drought situation is because of your sin, because of your lack of obedience, because you were a half dead tree who couldn't decide if you wanted to worship God or Baal. Go kill him. We're done with this season. Okay. Jezebel then sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. She's evil. Y'all she's like the evil witches in the Disney movie where you kind of shiver now watching it as an adult. And you're like, why do I let my guests watch this? She creepy. This is Jezebel. Okay. So you know what Elijah does, because when somebody like that comes at you, you start running because they're scary. I don't care who you are. So Elijah, this man of God, ran. And he ran and he found a cave to hide out in. And I think we all do that too. We either run or we get paralyzed and we can't move. 
And we just die a slow death being paralyzed right there in our weedy grass, native grass. Okay. But y'all, God came and he found Elijah in the cave and he loved on him. And he said, not only am I going to tell you what to do next, but I'm going to give you some relief and I'm going to go have you anoint the man who's going to come next and take over for you. And it all worked out because it ended up in here. But sometimes I wonder, I'm like, well, what's the other ending? You know, those choose your own adventure books where you can pick a different ending. I'm like, but, but how does this play out if Elijah doesn't get scared? And if Elijah says, no, Queen Jezebel, we're not doing this. How does that play out? We don't know. And we never will. But you guys can know that. You see, sorry, I know we're going over on time. But I want you to hear this because I feel like it's important because my husband is not a man who says things all the time. <laughs> I'm the chatter. And so we're sitting there talking last weekend about this and about other things. And he's like, he's like, well, he made some comment about the enemy's playbook. And I, he's like, well, I, I know the enemy's playbook. He hits men with lust and sexuality, and he hits women with self-confidence, jealousy, and comparison. He doesn't say a lot, but what he says is good. (laughs) And I sat on that, and I thought about it, and we talked about it, and I'm like, so you need to hear right now. Here's the football analogy. If you like football, or plug in whatever sport you like, There's offense and there's defense. And we in the church spend a whole lot of time on offense. We pray and we worship and God, what is coming next in our life? And I'm going to go learn these scriptures and I want to know where I'm going. Like, let's do this. And, and we know we need to play defense sometimes, but sometimes we don't really know what that looks like. And so I'm here to tell you, sitting across the field from you, the coach's playbook The enemy's playbook says, women, you're going to feel jealousy. You're going to feel self-confidence, a lack of it. And you are going to compare yourself to other people all day long. Now, how do we fight against that? Okay. Because we know, we know we shouldn't feel that way. Okay. And those of you who have ever been in a relationship, a dating relationship, marriage, most of you know when you get really, really, really clingy and you're like, oh my gosh, are we going out again tomorrow night? They run. Okay? (laughs) Married girls. Nag, 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 nag. I'm going to play golf. Okay? Am I right? Our lack of self-confidence is what draws us to do that. Our jealousy of what other people have in their relationship and their life and their beach vacation and, and, and draws us to a place where we're not confident in our life. So then we start nagging and we start looking around and we start being like, this is not enough because I don't feel enough. And then our husbands don't know how to fix it. So they pull away and it becomes this vicious, vicious cycle. And you're on a circle together right here. We've all seen the triangle, right? It's like, you meet God, the closer we are, the closer we get to God, closer we go to God, closer we get to you. But there's a circle too. And you see, the more you nag, the further he runs. And the more he feeds into lust and sexuality, the more your self-confidence takes a huge hit. And it just, you get further and further apart on the circle. 
Because the enemy knows that the things that are in his playbook against your husband or against the men in your life and you go like this. So this is me telling you, here's the playbook. Go war against it. Go pray over your husband that that would never even enter his thought or your household. Go pray for yourself that you would not feel jealous of other people because you're not supposed to be living their life. Go to battle because I'm going to tell you what I've learned about football. The team that wins is the team that spends more time on offense. You can't score if you're not on offense, can you? So when these things start coming at you, you get out your playbook. You say, this is what we're going to do to fight against this. And guess what? We're going to get the ball back. And the better your defensive team is, the quicker they are to get you the ball back. So you're on offense and you're running towards the Lord and in line with his plans. What all this boils down to is that God is always providing for you and always protecting you. He is always setting things into place in your favor. He knows where the roadmap leads and what forks she'll take. And he has prepared a way for you already. And if all God did was prepare a way for us, and if all he did was provide for us, that would be exceedingly abundant more than what we could do on our own. If you want the overflow, you have to step into this and you have to ask for more and you have to be obedient. You have to be obedient with the little so he can give you much. I don't know if I gave you this scripture, but 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that... You, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I wrote that this morning, so I couldn't read my handwriting. You see, abundance and overflow is a kingdom mindset. It comes with the territory of understanding that you are a daughter of the king. And until you step into that identity, just like Elijah, the words that you say aren't going to have much power because you have to start with what you believe about yourself. I am a daughter of the king. You have good for me. I had to listen to that song about 20 times. Shelby told me we were singing that song. I'd never heard it. And she's like, this okay? I'm like, that's great. <laughs> I had to listen to it 20 times so I wouldn't be bawling and ruin my mascara for y'all. He has good things for you. So let the Lord undo strongholds to things, people, and places in your life. Because those are the things that cause strongholds for us and block the abundance that God has for us. God is not in things. Okay? He's not even in places. Even when you feel like there's a great tan and Mexican food waiting for you. He's right here where you are asking you to live in this because this is what he has for you. And it's going to be so much better than the plan that you had for yourself. Whatever he's asking you to give up, whatever he is loosing you from, I promise if you let it go, he'll lead you somewhere better, somewhere to a place where abundance is so great that overflow becomes part of your everyday. And that's what I got for you guys.